I want to encourage you this morning. I want to remind you of who you are. In the light of all of these things that have happened in the last year, I want to remind you who you are, right? What the Bible says about who you are. Because I've seen a lot of frustration. I've seen a lot of uh, anger, a lot of unkindness on on every social media platform. And uh, let's remind ourselves of who we are, okay? We are not people of the left. We're not people of the right. We are people of the gospel. The gospel is a completely different thing to liberalism or conservatism. So let's, let's, not, um, let's not be distracted and let's not be discouraged. Let's encourage ourselves in the gospel, all right? And I'd like to read something to you this morning that you might have seen already, but was written by C.S. Lewis in 1942, all right, during the Second World War. And it's written, he wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters. You might be familiar with it. And this book, in this book, there's a senior devil called Screwtape, and he's instructing a junior devil called Wormwood, and uh, he's trying to encourage Wormwood to get, uh, get on the backs of Christians and distract them from what God has called them to do and, and to, to not live a good Christian life. And this is what, this is what C.S. Lewis writes through um, Screwtape. He says this, My dear Wormwood... Remember, the patient is the Christian, all right? Be sure that the patient remains completely fixated on politics, arguments, political gossip, obsessing with the faults of other people that they've never met. That serves as an excellent distraction from advancing in personal virtue, character, and the things that the patient can control. Make sure to keep the patient in a constant state of angst, frustration, and general disdain towards the rest of human race in order to avoid any kind of charity or inner peace from further developing. (laughs) Ensure the patient continues to believe that the problem is out there with the broken system rather than recognizing there's a problem with himself. Keep up the good work. Your loving uncle, screw tape. <laughs> it's brilliant. It was written in 1942 during the Second World War. My friends, I want to encourage you this morning to keep your head. Know that who you are. And to know who you are, I'm going to remind you of who you are out of Ephesians chapter 5. Please turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to read four verses together and I'm going to make some comments. All right? This is what Paul says, writing to the church in Ephesus. He says this, verse 13, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. He says, At one time you were darkness, but now you are light. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. When anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, wake sleeper and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time, because the days are evil. Well, Paul could have written this today, couldn't he? The Bible is absolutely incredible in how it speaks into our situation. And here Paul 
is exploring what it means to be a light to the world. We sang it this morning. Jesus came as the light of the world. He's the light of the world, and because we are in Him, we are in Christ, we too are light. And I love Paul's language here. He says, once you were darkness, now you are light. Walk as children of light. I want to encourage you. I want to remind you, once you were darkness, you are now light. Let us walk as children of light. That's who we are. We are no longer children of darkness. We are children of light. And so he's trying to say to the, the church in Ephesus, there's a much better way to live. And the better way to live is to remember who you are, not what you were, but who you are right now. You were once in darkness. You were once darkness. Now you are light. There's a radical change that has happened in your life. Remember what that change is and live in the new thing that God has done in you. And so he's trying to say, you belong to Jesus, and Jesus is the light of the world. And as a result of that, you are the light of the world. And because of all that Jesus has done, live in the, the glorious inheritance that Jesus has for you. Don't miss out. That's what Paul is trying to say. Don't miss out here on earth, and don't miss out one day in heaven. You are saved. You are son. We've looked at things, these things many times. Those things are secure in your life. Enjoy all of that, and don't let disobedience rob you in this life of what God has for you. That's his general encouragement. And so I'd like to just look at what he says um, light looks like. Uh, we have these spotlights. They shine. They, they um, illuminate things. Uh, well, what does light do? What is, how, 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 is, what, what, how, how do we understand what light is? Uh, well, Paul says very simply, he simply says, the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. That's how you know what light is. Light is goodness. Light is what is right. Light is truthfulness. And so he's trying to say to us, that's the new thing that God has done in you. you you're no longer darkness, you are light. And that's how you see light in your life. There's a, there's a goodness towards others. There's a kindness towards the others. There's a, a nat something in your nature that gets transformed when you are a, ch a child of the light. And, and that, re that results in righteousness. That's the biblical word, which means integrity. It means uprightness in all of our dealings with other people. It means truth and openness in all of our interactions with other people. There's no darkness in that. That's what he's trying to say. Uh, when, you, when you live in the light, all those things are exposed and you can deal with them. And light helps you to see. So we start to see things entirely differently as we walk in light. And I would encourage you, uh, I, I never want to use this pulpit for anything political. I think that would be a total disaster. But I do want to encourage you in your own walk, in your own life, that you see how people organize themselves in the world. You see that through a lens of the light of Christ in your life. Yeah? That we don't give in to unkindness and frustration and, and, and taking venting anger on people that have a different opinion to us. Come on now. That's not being a child of the light. There are people I know that I love and respect as, as human beings. Uh, beings and as great Christians who voted to leave Brexit, to leave um, the European Union. And there are those that I love and respect as Christian brothers who voted to, who wanted to stay. What is my role as a child of the light? Is to respect both of those opinions and to live as best as I can honoring God in my life. 
That's what I'm reminding you of this morning, whether it's Brexit or whether it's um, any other political issue. Let us live as children of light. So Paul continues, and he says there are some things that are results of being a person that is walking as light. And he says, when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. When you walk by the light, things become visible. We can see the spiritual situation around us. Sin is sin. Righteousness is righteousness. When you walk in the light, things become more clear to you. And this is what I find is one of the hardest things to walk in as a Christian. Because on the one hand, the Bible says this, says expose what is darkness, uh, understand what is right and what is wrong. At the same time, Jesus makes it quite clear. He says, don't judge other people. And so we live in this tension all the time. We are discerning what is right and what is wrong. We are discerning what is the kingdom and what is not is the kingdom. At the same time, we are called not to be judgmental of other people. It's an incredible tension in which we live. But it becomes clear as we walk in the light. And Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows after me will not walk in darkness. And so if we're following after Jesus, surely it means we are trying to walk in the light. And we're asking God's light to shine in and through our lives, through what we say, how we respond, and we expose things for what they really are without becoming judgmental ourselves. And I don't know about you, but I find the older that I get, the less I have to say. <laughs> what do I say to, to Noel? What can you say? Donna was my age, 52. She died one week. My friend Adrian, who helped plant this church, he died when we were in Cambodia, age 52, playing with his children, heart attack, died. What do I say to, to his kids that I know well? What do I say to Shelley? There are no words. We, we, we can't. We, we sometimes just have to keep quiet and offer comfort that we can and trust God to minister to people in a meaningful way. You hear what I'm saying? Why? Because ultimately the world is increasingly unhappy. It's increasingly frustrated. It's increasingly uh, people living for their own point of view and their own worldview, and ultimately they end up hating God and hating each other. My encouragement to you it's Paul's encouragement to the Ephesian church. He says, live as lights. I said to Helen, I wanted to get that spotlight and shine it in everyone's eyes. And then she said, no, for you know, health and safety, you know, you can't shine, shine in people's eyes. But just to make a point, that's, how, that's what Jesus is calling us to live like. He's calling to us to live like a searchlight. A searchlight that people can see and that brings clarity and brings focus and vision and exposes evil. That's how he's calling us to live, like a searchlight shining in a dark place. My encouragement is to you as it is to me. Let's give ourselves to living like that by the power of the Holy Spirit. The second thing Paul says is that anything that becomes visible is light. In other words, light makes other things brighter. And the darkness of the world becomes obvious when you see it in the light of who God is. The things can't remain hidden anymore. They're exposed, and in that sense, they become light. That's what Paul is saying. And so, if you wanted to know what uh, the, the, um, <clears throat> the mission of any Christian is, Paul uses a short little piece of poetry in the middle of this letter, 
and he tells us what our mission is as Christians. This is what we are living for. Wake up, sleeper. There's, that summarizes the gospel. That summarizes our calling. Wake up, arise from the dead, that Christ can shine on you. That's what we are called to do as Christians. That's how we are called to live in a loving way, is to get people to awake from their slumber, their stupor, their sleeplessness, and say to them, Jesus is wanting to shine through your life. Will you wake up? Help, let me help you wake up. Yes? Um, I love this picture, and I've, I don't know if I've shared it before, but, you know, ultimately Jesus comes to rescue people. Uh, Jesus is not so much primarily a great teacher as he is a great rescuer. He is the ultimate rescuer of humanity. And I, I found a picture that's helped me a lot to understand what Jesus does. We, we go to the south of France, as you know, in, in summer, and I love to swim in the sea, and, and sometimes people get into trouble in the sea. People that are not good swimmers. When someone is drowning, you don't throw them a teaching manual on how to swim and say, my friend, you really need to learn to swim right now. Turn to page five. There's excellent instructions on crawl there and actually practice a little bit and, you know, that'll do you a whole lot of good. Learn to swim. You get my point? Sometimes that's what we want to do to people. We want to teach them when actually what they need is they need to be rescued. And Jesus, what does He do? He gets into the water and He rescues you out of, your, out of darkness, out of sin, and He puts you in His kingdom of light, and He says, you once were drowning, now you're not. You once were darkness, now you're light. Jesus is the great rescuer. That's why we get to say to people, wake up. Can you see that you need to be rescued? Can you not feel that you are drowning? And we've got to learn to do that kindly. Third, Jesus says, uh, Paul says rather, in all of this, walk in wisdom. Do you notice that in the second half of the, of the paragraph? He says, we are to do all of that, to walk as children of light, to help rescue people, but to you do it in the best possible way that we use our time wisely because the days are evil. And I, I want to encourage you that wisdom and knowledge are not the same thing. Wisdom is skill at living. Uh, foolish living is governed by things like this. Anger, hate, selfishness, impulsiveness, venting. This is not, this is not wise living. This is foolishness. This is what the Bible says. Wisdom is the exact opposite of that. We are called to live as children of light wisely. That means we think. <laughs> that means we consider and take our time and we do not rush impulsively into doing things or writing things. Wisdom considers the long-term consequences. It's much more measured. It considers everything and tries to consider everything from every side and every different angle so it can make a choice that in the long term is going to be good for everyone. That's how God calls us to try and live as children of light. So I would encourage you, as Paul encourages the Ephesian church, take your time to carefully consider everything before you make a decision about anything. That is wisdom. And I love the scripture because it says, if we lack wisdom, 
What do we have to do, James? We simply have to ask God, and He generously gives wisdom to anyone who asks, and He doesn't find fault with anyone. He says, my son, if you want wisdom, here it is. I'll give it to you. If you're asking for it, I'll give it to you without measure. This is not an exclusive thing for really spiritual people. Now, this is the inheritance of every believer. He simply humbles himself and says, God, I need your wisdom. Help me. And then he also says, make the most of your time. Do you notice that? For the days are evil. And I want to say this. I love the grace of God. I love the freedom of God. And I've given my life to preaching about freedom that Jesus has bought for us. But at the same time, I want to say, all of us need a structure that is not legalistic in our lives. Why? Because when we have a structure that is not legalistic, it helps us to make the best use of our time. And that kind of structure is going to vary according to people's personalities. What do I mean? I mean this. How many of you don't find it easy to get up in the morning? Some of you? How many of you find it really easy to work late into the night and to stay up until 3 o'clock in the morning? There you are. In this church, half of you like to work late. Half of you find it easy to get up. Why? We're all different, different structures. My point is we have to find a structure that works for us, that we can cultivate our relationship with God and cultivate our relationship with each other. It's not legalistic. We've got to find it for ourselves. And my way might be a little bit different from your way. But let's keep each other free that we can find God's will for our lives. Have a basic structure, and at the same time, that will help us make the best use of our time and not waste our time and still be open open to being led by the Holy Spirit to hear His voice saying, this is what I want you to do today. And that's why Paul continues uh, uh, later. I'm I'm just going to mention it in in chapter 5, verse 8. He says, don't get drunk with wine. But be filled by the Holy Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and spiritual songs, singing and make melody in the Lord into your heart, and giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So here Paul is still trying to urge us, he's still trying to encourage us to understand what it means to live as children of light. And he has his second encouragement. The first thing he says is, don't be ungodly, avoid that. Don't get drunk. It's not wise. It's not good for your health. It's not good for your behavior. It often leads to depression. You waste your money. All that stuff, it's not a good habit to do. So Paul's saying, don't flee from that. Don't, don't give yourself to that. There's something else that God has for you. And he's saying what? There's a fullness in the Spirit that God has for you. There's a fullness in the Spirit. Um, I've said this before, but, you know, uh, there are only two, two times I noticed that people sing freely. Have you noticed this? Oh, I have to mention the rugby. Surely the England, England fans are singing freely this morning. Yes? Singing freely this morning. The Australian fans are singing freely this morning. Why? Because their team also won. That's when people sing at sports events, when their team wins. Second time I've noticed people sing is when they're a little bit oiled. Isn't it? Then they're just a great singer. Then they're not, they're, 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 literally their lips are loosed and they can sing. They can sing with great joy when they've had a couple of pints. Yeah? And what Paul is trying to say is that actually there's one that can help you sing all the time. <laughs> there is one who helps you sing all the time. There is one that brings joy and peace to you that you can sing all the time. Even when you're saying goodbye to a friend like Donna, 
you can still sing. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is bringing a fullness in your life unlike anything else that you've experienced up to now. That's Paul's point. He's saying there's one that enables you to have a song in your heart, to face difficult circumstances with joy, to say goodbye to loved ones with joy knowing that you are going to see them again. Not that you don't grieve, but we are going to see them again. Uh, I love Gladiator. You know that movie? And uh, at the end, the final scene is uh, in, in the Colosseum, and one of the heroes is this guy from Africa, and he's kept the little um, ancestral things that um, Marcus Aurelius um, worships, his little ancestral things. And he takes them and he bears them in the Colosseum, and he says these words, I will see you again, but not yet. I love that. I will see you again, but not yet. That's the heart of the Christian life. We will see our loved ones again. In a little while, we will see them again. That's why we sing with hope. That's why we sing with joy. That's what the Holy Spirit brings deep in us, that we can live like that. So Paul here, when he says, be filled with the Spirit, he's not talking of a once-off event. He's not talking of what happened, for example, in Acts chapter 2. While they were all together, the Holy Spirit was poured out and they were filled. Or um, Acts chapter 4, when... Uh, when um, Peter powerfully rebuffs those that are opposing the gospel. It's Acts 4.8. He's, he's able to speak boldly. It says he's filled with the Spirit. That's, those are special moments. He's not talking about that. He's talking about an ongoing infilling in your life, a present continuous tense of being filled with the Holy Spirit, to be constantly filled, that there's an ongoing characteristic of your life of joy, peace, kindness, forgiveness. That's what he's talking about. That's what it means to walk as a children of the light. He's not talking about being filled with the Spirit like when uh, Barnabas was sent out with Paul in Acts 11. He's not talking about being filled with the Spirit uh, as in Acts chapter 9 where they said to fill, uh, choose deacons that are full of wisdom and the Holy Spirit. He's not talking about that in that sense. He's talking about this constant relaxed confidence in our lives that comes because of the Holy Spirit in us. The steady presence of the Holy Spirit. And so... To finish, I said half an hour, and I'm doing well. I've got five minutes left. He finishes off by showing us what that relaxed confidence in the Holy Spirit looks like. And he says this, Address one another with singing, make melody in your heart, give thanks always, and submit to one another. There you are, five aspects of what it shows that there is the fullness of the constant peace and fullness of the Holy Spirit in your life. A relaxed confidence that you are yielded to the Holy Spirit is expressed in the fact that you have fellowship with other people, that you are a person who loves to sing, <laughs> a person who's always thankful, and a person who gets on well with other Christians. That's what Paul says. That's evidence of fullness in your life of the Holy Spirit. Very practical, isn't it? I don't, I'm not saying this to accuse anybody, but have you thought of what singing actually does. How many of you sing at home? I'm not embarrassed to sing. That is so wonderful to see. Because it is, singing is something of a deep expression in our hearts of something that people can't take away from us, isn't it? When you, when you are just joyful, you just sing out of tune in the shower or in the kitchen or whatever. You don't care. Hey, Ryan, is that you? Yeah, you just sing because you can't help yourself. This is a characteristic of Christianity. Christians have always been 
singers. Why? Because Christians have something to sing about. We have something to sing about. There's this relaxed confidence. I love the story of Paul and Silas in jail. Remember that story? It says they're, you know, they're waiting. They think they're going to be executed. And it says about midnight, Paul and Silas were singing. <laughs> they were like, God, if we go, we're going to be with you. And they're singing. And God does a miracle and opens the gates. There's something about worship that releases something very, very powerful in our life. And so I ask you, and I ask myself, can you see those things in your life? Can we together as a church community say that there are things that define this church? Giving thanks always. Making melody in our hearts to the Lord. Singing. Encouraging one another. It says, address one another. Well, I want to put it to you that if we do see those things more and more, it's evidence that God is transforming this spiritual community to be more and more like His Son, more and more like Jesus. And I want to encourage you with that. And then do you notice also it says, a person that is yielded to the Holy Spirit is submissive to others. Do you notice that Paul says that? <laughs> that people are submitted to the Holy Spirit are happy to be part of a spiritual community, part of fellowship part of opening up their lives to others, part of opening up their lives to the church. See, it means you stop putting yourself first and you say, actually, there are others that are also important, not just me. And I don't say that to accuse anyone, but I do say this. I do say, certainly in terms of my understanding of our culture, our culture is essentially more and more self-centered and individualistic more and more saying it doesn't need other people. And much of the church is like that as well, which is a great tragedy. But by the power of the Spirit, we can learn to live as those that are children of light. And so it says, Paul finishes off, says, Submit to one another in the fear of Christ. Well, that doesn't mean we're afraid of Christ. It means that we are aware that Jesus wants to live us, uh, us to live in a certain way. He's got rewards for us. He doesn't want us to miss out on all of His kingdom and what He has for us. And we learn that kind of obedience together. We grow in holiness together. We yield to, in, in the yielding of the Holy Spirit, we show our submission to God and to each other. That we're all part of the same thing, the body of Christ. Making music in our hearts. Yeah? Giving thanks always. There's a, there's a little phrase. Give thanks always. How hard is that? Only possible by the power of the Holy Spirit. Preferring one another, Paul says. That's what it means to be full of the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to shine like a light in a dark place. I'm trying to encourage you this morning, my friends, that we live like this. That's what's going to change the world. I can't change the whole world, but I can change one person, me, and I can change others that I come into contact with by showing them something of who Christ is, that Christ increasingly is glorified and i don't want to be flippant i don't want to uh, the I, I am a person that is is completely concerned with the world and the state of the world but i do know this that jesus is still jesus same jesus that was jesus last week is is jesus this week and i don't say that lightly i know all of the complications that the world faces right now let's keep our eyes on him Let's learn to live as children of light that we might be light in a dark world that needs the light of Christ.
Amen. God bless you. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for the simplicity of your word. We want to thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit within us. Jesus, help us. We ask that you'd help us. Uh, Lord, so many things that vie for our attention and our distractions. Help us, Lord, to keep the main thing the main thing. Help us to keep you central to everything of our lives. Help us to live wisely. Help us to live and make the best use of our time. Not giving in to frustrations, but being those that encourage others and help them to see with light, because we ourselves are light. Thank you, Jesus, that you came, that we might be those that are called children of light. And we bless you for all that you've done and all that you're doing. You're a good, good father to us. And we love you and honor you in this place this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.